Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. This is Bola Shokumbi. I'm the founder and CEO of Clever Girl Finance. The Clever Girls Know podcast is a podcast for women, offering a space for conversations around personal finance, business, life, and living. I'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast, and you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes. And if you love what you listen to, head on over to iTunes and leave a review so that other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. I'd also love for you to stop by clevergirlfinance.com. We have new content on the blog multiple times a week. We have over 30 plus free courses. Plus, when you sign up for a course, you can talk to a Clever Girl Finance mentor for free to get encouragement, motivation, or if you just want to have an open, no shame, no judgment girl talk. Finally, check out our YouTube channel. Just search Clever Girl Finance on YouTube. And if you don't already follow us on Instagram, you can find us at Clever Girl Finance. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. Hi, Lauren. Welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. You have achieved something really significant, which is retiring early. So I am super excited to have you on here to share your experience and your tips with everyone listening and aspiring to either an early retirement or just creating some solid plans for, you know, their future self. So before we dive into your journey, tell us about yourself and what you do. I write a blog called Trip of a Lifestyle about early retirement and how to travel for months at a time, really cheap. We also post on social media, little life hacks, things like that. That's awesome. So we'll definitely put the link to your blog in the show notes for folks who want to read the topics you write on. But the term retiring early, early retirement is something that you hear used very often, right? There is the FIRE movement, financial independence, retire early. What does it actually mean to retire early? What does it mean to you? So for me, retiring early just means that I don't have to go to work anymore if I don't want to. But from like a more technical point of view, it means that you have enough money invested. So the returns on those investments can pay for your basic living expenses forever. It's actually pretty easy to calculate that number. It's not super complicated. Just take your annual living expenses, whatever you typically spend in a year, multiply it by 25. And that's how much you need invested to retire early. Okay. So for you, it's basically living off of the earnings on your investments, right? Correct. Now I'm not technically withdrawing from my portfolio just yet. Mm-hmm. I have a little bit of freelance income that you know comes from just like some passion projects and I'm actually able to live off that income. So I'm not actually tapping my portfolio yet, but technically we have the investments to do that. We just haven't withdrawn yet. Okay. Yeah. And the reason why I asked that is because a lot of times, you know, people get the wrong idea of retire early. Well, there's different versions of it, right? I wouldn't say people get the wrong idea. I take that back. <laughs> but there are different versions of it because For some people, for some individuals, retire early means not working at all, period, and living off of their investments. Mm -hmm. For other people, retiring early means they're running their own business, but on their own terms, on their own schedule, when they feel like it, how they feel like it. They're basically the boss. So that to them is, in a sense, retire early because they're not working for a corporation, for the man, for an entity. They are doing whatever they want to do themselves. They take vacations when they want to. And for some people, retiring early means modified schedule, part-time schedule. Maybe they work certain times of the year. 
they do freelance work for two months of the year and the rest of the time they're like traveling, living their best life. So for different people, it means different things. Definitely. I definitely agree. And I think that that's kind of like the misconception just because the terminology itself is misleading, right? To say like retired early or sit on the beach. (laughs) Yes. I I think that like most people have this definition in mind when they hear the word retire or retirement, they picture old and on the beach and doing nothing. Right. And I think that when you retire really early, like, like I did, I have decades and decades and decades of living still to do. And it's like, Mm -hmm. of course, at some point, like it's, very easy to make money doing random stuff that I'm like interested in. And so I think the idea that like you would retire early and never make another dime is kind of bizarre, depending on like what you're interested in. It's kind of easy enough, I feel like, to generate some little bit of income that it's not this hard cutoff that people kind of think it is that like you just because you retire early that you stop making any money. And some people just do incidentally like I do, or, you know, like you said, have like a part-time job or run their own business that is super flexible enough that they feel as free as they need to feel. Yeah. So ultimately it's about being in control, doing things on your own terms and not having the financial burden or pressure of having to work in order to survive essentially, right? And I think that whole idea of retiring early and just retirement in general, the idea of sit on a beach and do nothing is something Mm -hmm. that has been ingrained in us very much so by the media. Because if you look at your average retirement management company, investment company, and the media advertising, it's usually a couple on the beach. (laughs) Oh, for sure. They're like walking hand in hand at sunset. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They're holding hands and the sun is setting and they have the champagne and they're usually on a beach. Yes. Yeah. Glistening in the sun. Yeah. It's been embedded (laughs) in our minds. And, you know, when you think about even people who retire when they're older or choose to retire at an older age, a lot of times they don't sit on the beach. They get into second careers. They pursue passion mm-hmm. projects. They, you know, nobody just sit unless they have health issues. Nobody's just sitting, not doing anything. So right. just interesting to discuss the different ideas behind what early retirement means. Some people will tell me that I'm retired and I'm like, I work a full-time business. I don't know if I'm retired, <laughs> but it's on my own terms, but I still work and I'm not on the beach. So I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I probably for my scenario, it's a little bit of a hybrid because we do live across the street from the beach. So we're out there a lot, but that it is funny to go out there because like most of the, we live in Florida, my and my husband. And so mm-hmm. when we go out on the beach, like it does tend to be other retirement age folks walking on the beach at the same time. But you're right. I think that a lot of people, even when they do hit traditional retirement age, you know, like you were saying, take on passion projects or move into a second career and retiring early just means that if you have those interests, you get to pursue them earlier and you don't have to worry about if you have the money to do that. Lots of people are interested in endeavors that might not have been a lucrative career. So they passed on them to begin with, such as, you know, being in the arts, for example, or doing work that is maybe not something that's easy to live off of and create a, like a full-time salary from. And so I think that having that financial independence, having that financial freedom gives you that flexibility to try those things earlier, know if you like them and invest more time into them when you've got that freedom. So I'd love to get into your journey in more specific detail. So by 29, you had saved and invested enough to retire along with your husband, What was your roadmap to being able to achieve this? I would love if you could share with us specific details, like, you know, how did you pay for college? What career were you in? What was your income? Because a lot of people would love to know, you know, we hear all these stories about 
people who retire early, but we don't necessarily learn the details of how they did it. So I think for someone who maybe wants to retire early, or like I mentioned earlier, wants to start thinking about creating a plan for their future selves, I'd love for you to break it down in detail as to what your roadmap was, starting from when you decided that, hey, I'm going to retire early. (laughs) Definitely. So there actually is a page on our website called the Financial Roadmap, which gives steps for how to achieve something like I did. But for me, I put myself through college. I applied for merit scholarships. In Florida, we have a scholarship program called Bright Futures that's available to all students. And if you have a certain GPA and enough community service hours, they cover your tuition. So I qualified for that. I didn't have any parental help at the time. And I basically put myself through college with that tuition covered by the scholarship and then waiting tables. So I quickly learned that 7am classes didn't work very well when I had a late night shift the night before. But yeah, I was able to graduate with no debt because of that. So that was a big, probably first step toward being able to hit the ground running was my first job. Shortly after college, my husband and I both got full-time jobs. We were making a little under $40,000 a year, but in... Not combined or individually? Individually. We each okay. were making a little under 40000 a year. Okay. So you had about um, 80K a year between both of you before taxes? Correct. Yes. And so in about two years, we were able to save about $100,000. So if you think about that, you know, it's... $160,000 over those two years, our expenses were super, super low. We were able to live on $22,000. And so if wow. you that, yeah. <laughs> <In> Florida. <laughs> yes, we were actually just outside of Orlando in a town called Winter Park. We were living in a one-bedroom apartment. We were sharing one car. We were shopping at Costco and Walmart for our groceries. So we were doing like all the things to keep our living expenses low. But you know, because of that, we were able to save a significant chunk of money, $100,000 in just two years. And so mm-hmm. as you could probably imagine, working full-time, you know, this is the first two years out of college. So it's a big shift to go from a college lifestyle to like full-time work because we were working and we had a couple side hustles. And so we were feeling kind of burned out after, you know, two full years of all the hustle. And so... Wait, sorry we, to interrupt. Were you also running side hustles while you were working full-time? Correct. Yes. Okay. We, so you, you had your full-time income, your side hustle income, but in order to earn those different incomes, you guys were spending a lot of hours out there hustling. Yes. We were both working full-time and then we do photography. And so you're like my kindred spirit because I'm <laughs> like nodding my head a lot. She saved a hundred thousand dollars in a couple of years. What was her side hustle photography? That was mine too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's super powerful. Like, you know, yeah. you can show up for a wedding and make a few thousand dollars depending yes. on, on the wedding, but you know, it is a lot of work. And then there's time that isn't even present for the six to eight hour wedding that you have to the do editing, afterward like, editing and all yeah, that. Yep. So, all that stuff. so there is, you know, effort involved in my husband and I would do those jobs together. And we had like random stuff, like we would flip random furniture that we'd find and, you know, just electronics that we'd find stuff like that. So fixing stuff up, selling it on eBay. So, you know, we had, wasn't like a ton of extra money, but we did do that on the side. And so after about two years of, of that, we were like, you know, we're doing really well, but like, I'm getting kind of burned out. So we decided after we got married, we're like, you know, it'd be kind of cool to go to Hawaii. And we were thinking, my husband was a high school teacher. So we got married in November in 2014. And we were like, we should wait until the summertime because, or maybe 2015, now I've got the dates on. But we were like, we got married in November and we were like, well, we should wait until summer to do a honeymoon because like, 
we'll schedule like we should just finish out the school year and not to worry about it. So we we're like, if we're going to wait anyway, what if we just move to Hawaii for six months? Because looking at the cost of flights, the cost of hotels, the cost of rental cars, like our lease is going to be up at, in the summer anyway. What if we just move there? <laughs> and so we moved to Hawaii for six months and that was like what we call our honeymoon. But because we, you know, moved there as opposed to just going for a week or two, we actually didn't spend down any of our savings. We negotiated some part-time work with our employers before we left. Well, Stephen wasn't really able to. He did some like freelance tutoring stuff when we got there. But I went to my employers and I was like, hey, I'm going to go do this. I can keep working for you guys or as a freelancer remotely doing, you know, some of my responsibilities or like, I'll just leave and I can train whoever you need to. And I gave them like lots of notice, but we were able to work out a deal. And so I was able to do some of my responsibilities. Hawaii, we were both probably working like 10 hours a week and that was enough to cover our expenses in Hawaii. And it was actually like surprisingly not much more expensive. I think it was very close to what our living expenses were in Florida. So that was like, we knew how to manage our expenses in Florida. So moving to Hawaii, it was like roughly the same. We're like, oh, this isn't that bad. And we can just work enough to cover the bills and then enjoy the rest of the time. And so that six months was a really re-energizing time for us. And then we came back from Hawaii hadn't spent any of our savings. So we were able to buy our first home in cash. We bought a 71,000 three-two condo in Florida. Mm -hmm. And so not having a mortgage payment. And we also got new jobs and they paid significantly more. I remember when I started job hunting, when we came back, I was like, okay, this time I want to level up. I want to make at least 50,000. And I like interviewed for other jobs. Some of them like seemed like really good jobs, but like that level of salary wasn't in the budget for them. And I was like, I'm sorry. Like it was a weird position to like take because I had never, I don't know, I guess advocated for myself in that way. But you know, Steven's like, we have the savings. Like it doesn't matter how long it takes. Like you can just get a job that pays better. Like that's a good step to take. And so Steven was really supportive of that. And I was able to get a job where I was making that minimum for myself. And so we both kind of started that next chapter after Hawaii in that like $50,000 range, living in our house mortgage-free. And we were able to save like way faster now. And so in the next three, maybe four months, I want to say, we were able to work our salaries up to closer to around, I want to say I was like in the mid $80,000 range. She was probably closer to 90. And that was like, we hit another kind of oh, we're getting a little exhausted again, working really hard because the jobs we were at, we were working for smaller companies that, you know, you wear a lot of hats when you work for a small business. And so we were both kind of getting a little burned out again. And we're like, we should take another trip. And so that's when we did seven months going to every national park. So we got a van, we put a bed in the back basically, and then called it a camper van. It's nothing like you see on Instagram. It's like literally just a bed with <laughs> you a You made your own camper van. <laughs> yes. We took a small cargo van, literally just put a wooden platform for storage space underneath <laughs> and took off. And so we spent seven months on the road, came back. And we both kind of realized when we came back from that trip, like we are fairly like good financially. And so I had quit my job at the end of 2018 before we took our trip in 2019 to all the national parks. And I never went back to full-time work. I did a few freelance projects and I still have one of those projects today. But at that point, I realized like, oh, we're in a position where we don't need to be working full-time. And so then, you know, we both kind of tapered off of full-time work. And then now we both kind of 
have small freelance projects that we work on in addition to our blog. And so, yeah, I was 29 when I quit my full-time job and I haven't gone back to in office or full-time work since then. So that's the long story of our early retirement. <laughs> that's amazing. And congratulations because that sacrifice for a couple of, for a few years to be able to achieve this goal where you are, you know, retired and living on your own terms can be incredibly difficult, right? Living on $22,000 a year for both of you, that's less than $2,000 a month. And it's not like you were living at home with mom and dad and somebody was paying. Right. Rent. <laughs> you know, that's especially when you did have the income, like you guys had that $80,000 well before taxes. So let's say about 60 that you could have spent, but you decided to focus on living on 22,000 and then save the rest, including the money from your side hustle. And you built a really great foundation with that $100,000. That's significant. So thank you for sharing details around that. And I do appreciate the fact that you guys were able to take those breaks to recharge and rejuvenate. When people are on these types of journeys, whether it's saving or even paying off debt, and they reach that burnout point, that demotivation point, everybody gets there, believe mm -hmm. me. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it's just a little break, like what you guys are able to do, well, Hawaii, the national parks, that's what you need to rejuvenate as opposed to trying to power through and then eventually just fizzling out, right? A lot mm -hmm. of times people give up so easily. Because they did not give, well, I wouldn't say so easily. People give up because they didn't give themselves the time to take a break from a difficult task. So it's not easy. <laughs> yes. I definitely think taking those breaks gives you a different perspective and it allows you to, yes, recharge, but also to like kind of live a little differently and see why you've been working hard. Like, particularly for us, working with our goal being financial independence, like, getting to a point where we were reclaiming some of that time back during our breaks, we were like, this is what we've been working toward. And like, it feels really good to have that experience and to know that it's worth it. So quickly, like for us within that, like after two years of working really hard, we were like, actually had the experience that yes, in fact, what we're doing and what we have been saving for and all that was like 100% worth it. This time in Hawaii is one of the best times ever. Like, I'm so glad that we're doing this. And so it kind of can confirm a lot of the reasons why you're working hard in the first place. Yes. So you were fortunate to not have any student debt, right? You went through college on a scholarship basis, which is really great. But for someone who, and this definitely allowed you to start building wealth right away, right? Because you didn't have to worry about paying back any student loans. You didn't owe anyone any money. You guys were able to buy your house in cash. You didn't have to deal with a mortgage. But for someone who's listening to this, who is pursuing retiring early or wants to build a foundation for their retirement sometime in the future, who might be older, who may have debt, who may have poor credit, who may not have any savings right now coming out of college and student loans. How can they pursue this? What tips would you give them? So I've thought about that before. And you know, a lot of people do end up having student loans coming out of school. I think that is a common issue, obviously. I was lucky enough to get the scholarship and by waiting tables, I could cover the difference throughout those four years. But, you know, I also think that like, if we did have student loan debt, if we had graduated with $100,000 in student loan debt and got the same jobs that we got out of college, we could have done the same thing. Instead of saving $100,000 in two years, we would have just paid off $100,000 in loans in two years. Mm -hmm. So it just would have taken two extra years to reach our goal of early retirement, which I think is really encouraging for people who are listening and thinking, you know, that they have a lot of debt racked up. We were working very 
middle-class jobs. My husband was a public school teacher. I was making a little bit less than he was. And in just two years, we were able to save $100,000, which could have instead been paying off $100,000, right? So I think it's encouraging. And I think that it's still something that's doable. And it would have just slowed our timeline down by an additional two years. And I think, you know, it's really important. And I also think to people I've talked to, all the interviews I've done and people who have paid off significant amounts of debt who have been here on the podcast, you know, it also really, really is important that you adopt the right mindset and set Mm -hmm. the intention for what you want to do, right? Because sometimes tasks can seem impossible, especially when you're looking at them in big numbers. If you have $200,000 of student loans, Mm -hmm. if you have $50,000 $50,000 student loans, if you're trying to save $100,000, if you're trying to save $200,000, those are big numbers. And it can seem crazy, especially, you know, think about your income. You were earning $40,000, less than $40,000 a year before taxes. It's very easy to say to yourself, how the heck am I going to save $100,000 when I barely make forty? <laughs> right. Right. So adopting the mindset is so important of, okay, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't have the side hustle yet. I don't have the income equaling the amount I want to save yet or the debt I want to pay off yet. But I know I can do this and I'm going to set the intention. And when you set the intention, you sort of figure out how to get it done along the way. You sort of have your priorities in check along the way so that when you get that side hustle, you get an extra 500, 300, 1,000 here and there, as opposed to just spending it on randomness, you have that intention of, I need to save or I need to pay off debts. So having that mindset is so important to a journey like this, to a process like this, even when you do not know how you're going to do it. Yes. And I think for us, part of what helped in our journey is we kind of found out about the concept of like financial independence and the math behind early retirement shortly after graduating college. And so For us, we decided to create a spreadsheet and track our net worth every month. And so I think having that, we had monthly check-ins where we would reconcile all of our accounts and put in a number that we're saving. And so seeing that number go up every month and then seeing it chipping away at our financial independence number and our big goals, you know, you're seeing this monthly change, but also the long-term goal change as well. And both of those are really encouraging. Like, it kind of gamified the experience. We were like, oh, how much more were we able to save this month over last month? And you know, so that was part of our process was being on the same page, having that shared goal, and then working toward it together was actually like really exciting for us and helped us be more intentional and helped us like be excited about that goal. Cause I do think that sometimes there is like a mindset issue for people when it comes to like, is this really worth it? Is it really possible? And when you actually see the progress that you're making toward your goals, it can reinforce what you're doing and encourage you. Hey, everyone. Before we continue with this podcast episode, I'd love for you to check out the best-selling Clever Girl Finance book series. There are three books in the series, and the first book is Clever Girl Finance, Ditch Debt, Save Money, and Build Real Wealth. The second book is Grow Your Money, Learn How Investing Works. And the third book is called The Side Hustle Guide, Build a Successful Side Hustle and Increase Your Income. You can also check out my fourth book called Choosing to Prosper, Triumphing Over Adversity, Breaking Out of Comfort Zones, Achieving Your Life and Money Dreams. And this book highlights my personal story to building a business of impact and challenges you as the reader to dig deep into laying out what you truly want to accomplish for yourself. I wrote each of these books to empower women just like you to achieve your goals and get to the point where you're living the life you desire on your own terms. If you love these books, be sure to tell your best girlfriends and they also make the perfect gift. 
These books are available everywhere books are sold and you can purchase them as ebooks, audiobooks, and also physical books. And you can also ask your local library to order them as well. Thank you so much. And let's get back to the episode. Yes. And you know, you also had a built-in accountability partner, right? So having that person where you're each holding each other accountable can just be sometimes the game changer, the motivation you need to not slip up, to not mess up or to get back on track. So we recently did an episode on here about two friends who were each other's accountability partners, and they talked about how they were able to leverage being there for each other to achieve their goals. So I think that's definitely something that if you feel like you need that additional support, that check-in, that accountability, having someone doesn't have to be your spouse, could be a best friend, could be a family member, someone you trust that aligns with the goals you are trying to pursue, who has either achieved what you're trying to do or is trying to do the same thing and they're in the right headspace to do this with you can be very helpful as well. The same is true for like trying to cut down on expenses. Like you don't have to have a partner to split the cost of living. You can also have a roommate, you know, and hang a roommate for a little bit longer to be able to keep your expenses low while you're chipping away at debt or, you know, saving up a good little nest egg. Exactly, exactly. So we talked about, you know, how it was helpful for you to take those breaks and why it's helpful for anyone to take breaks when they're they're on a journey like this, whether it's saving or paying off debt. But I want to talk about any challenges you might have faced, either you or your husband or together, because, you know, a lot of times we, we talk about these stories of saving or paying off debt. And it sounds like, yeah, I just put a thousand dollars a month, five thousand dollars a month. And at the end I had. I was debt-free and I had $100,000. But the truth is that when you're on that journey, there's challenges. You might be emotionally challenged, mentally challenged. You may be challenged from a, I want to go out and spend perspective, mishaps, emergencies, unplanned situations. So what were some challenges that you encountered on your journey? And did you feel like you wanted to give up? Did you feel like you had the right support? How did you overcome the difficulties around not wanting to save? (laughs) So I feel like, you know, for us, you know, it's kind of a, a misconception, I think, that it has to be very challenging because I think for us, we got started on this right out of college, right? So when you're a college student and you're waiting tables to pay the bills, you find ways to have fun really cheap, right? And so when we graduated college and got our first real full-time salaried jobs, you know, we started having a lot more extra income than we did when we were college students, but we were happy as college students with our level of spending. Like I didn't feel like I needed a new couch just because I had a higher income. I was happy with how I was living. And so I didn't feel like I needed to level up. And I think because of that, because I recognized like what spending like did contribute to my happiness and what spending like wouldn't have contributed to my happiness. It wasn't a difficult decision to to save that income rather than spend it because for me I was just like I'm happy with our level of spending. Like it wasn't we didn't work hard to bring our spending down to $22,000. We added up our spending and we're like oh we're only spending like $22,000 so I guess we'll save the rest of our income. And so I think having that goal, you know, we were like we have this extra money, what do we do with it? And that's kind of what led us to learn more about finance, Hmm. led us to get into investing and led us to, you know, figuring out financial independence and this like concept of, oh, I can either spend this money on random stuff like a new couch or a new car, like most people do when you start becoming an adult, or I can buy something else instead. And so I was making a conscious choice to 
put that money to my future, if that makes sense. Like I wanted to buy my time away from work rather than buying those things. And Mm -hmm. so I think that intention and that like choice that I was making made it a lot easier. I think most people don't realize that they are making a choice with their spending and that makes it a lot harder. And I think the further along you are in making certain decisions or being used to making certain decisions, it is harder to give up. But I was starting from a place of I'm happy where I'm at. And if I just living my life as I am right now, I'll just have the surplus of money that I can save and see grow. And so, and that will buy me back my time, This, which is the component that I'm missing because that's what I had more of in college. And now I don't because I'm working. And so that was kind of my my intention there. I mean, that makes sense. I, you know, lifestyle creep is certainly one aspect of the struggle to save or pay off debt, right? Some people are having to adjust from being, I guess, caught up in lifestyle creep or having to downsize. I think that dynamics for people are, especially when they're trying to achieve one of those two things, saving or paying on debt, are they vary, right? Because there could be someone who, like you, they're used to living, they don't spend a lot of money, they've never been caught up in lifestyle creep, but they're trying to save, but there's family that's causing them to feel significant guilt (laughs) or Mm -hmm. being unsupportive. That makes it challenging to stay motivated to continue. Or someone who, you know, like you, again, not living beyond their means, managed to purchase a house and they realize, wait a minute, I have to take out $20,000 from my savings to fix a leaking roof or do something unexpected that throws them off. And sometimes seeing that significant amount of money leaving your account is a demotivator. Like, oh my God, why am I saving if only to spend it, right? Or maybe they had to get into debt to pay off the roof because they Mm -hmm. had just started saving. So what's the point of even trying to save when I know I'm already going to be in debt to try to pay off more things that are happening unexpectedly? So sometimes I think dynamics are different for everyone, right? It's not always, I guess, in their control, right? Sure. Illnesses, unplanned expenses, unsupportive people in your life. Yeah, I do think that there are unforeseen circumstances. I mean, there are plenty of times that like our car broke down and you know we only had one car. So I had to call out of work and deal with that for the day and get towed. But those are one-off experiences that I feel like, you know, that's why you have the savings account. That's why you are doing the savings. Or if you have to put it on a credit card because you don't have that savings. Like that's a more difficult position to be in for sure. For us, we, you know, that's part of having that savings though, was like, we have this safety net, we have the the money to accommodate any of those unforeseen circumstances. So I don't know, I kind of- process behind it, right? So you have the savings. I think where people struggle, where it can be challenging for people is it's the thought process behind it. Because I, I have this conversation very often where someone has saved all this money in emergency savings and it took them a while to save it. And then all of a sudden they have to spend it and they mm-hmm. feel really upset and demotivated. Like, you know, I spent all this time saving and, you know, now I have to spend it and woe is me and I'm so unlucky. And I have to remind them, but that was the purpose of the account. Yeah. Yes, because now exactly. you have, you've used your emergency savings means you did not have to borrow money from anyone. It means you did not have to take on high interest credit card debt or a loan or anything like that. It means that- Or skip a bill payment. Or maybe. skip a bill payment, skip your mortgage, skip your insurance, whatever. It means that the money- actually served its purpose. So having that thought process around, okay, uh, I think it's helpful, right? I guess for you, it's not that you didn't have challenges. You just had a different thought process as to navigating through them. Like when your car broke down, when unexpected bills came up, et cetera, your thought process was difficult because 
you didn't think about your challenges as a derailment. Instead, you're like, okay, we do have emergency savings here for this. Pay it. We keep moving, right? Mm-hmm. I think the simple action of just separating your savings can be so game changing for someone who's struggling with the challenge of being set back from financial difficulties, unplanned expenses. Because if you can say, okay, I want to save $100,000, but I need to put aside $5,000 or $10,000 for emergency savings. If you just separate that money away, when the emergency happens, the unplanned expense happens, you take it from that emergency account, but you don't touch your master account, your your 100K account, you will feel less guilty and less disappointment and less demotivated knowing that that account is still what it should be, while the other account for the purpose of this whole unplanned expense situation is being used for its purpose. And obviously, sometimes it's not all black and white. You know, sometimes you will have to, the unplanned expense might be beyond what you have saved and you may have to tap into your master savings. But that thought process, like you mentioned, being able to adjust your mind and say, okay, you know, I've had to take money from here, but guess what? I know I still want to pursue this goal. So how can I do this? Do I accelerate my savings goal? Do I get an extra part-time job, work more on my side hustle, extend my timeline? Like not that not giving up mentality can be the, the grace you give yourself to get through the situation. I agree that it does I think it is a mindset shift, you know, for us, because we were tracking our our net worth, it was, we kind of had this more zoomed out picture. And so we didn't view our money as these individual buckets that were for different purposes. But I totally get that that is helpful for a lot of people. For us, that wasn't necessarily our approach. But I do think that, you know, when it comes to budgeting, saving all that stuff, when it comes to personal finance, right, like the, the line is, you know, it's personal. So you have to find what works for you. And for us, I think the bigger thing for everyone is to recognize why you're doing these things, like why you're saving the money is so that you don't end up in a position where you can't pay for something unexpected or that you have to choose between paying rent or paying for this unexpected expense or, or what have you. And so, yeah, I think I did probably have a little bit of a brighter view on things because I was like, this is the reason that we're doing this. This is like what this money is for. It's, it's to have that ultimate flexibility and that freedom. And at our cost of living, like at our low spending and with our salaries, like even on a very mediocre salary, I mean, we're spending $22,000 a year during those first two years, the two of us combined, and we're both making around $40,000 a year. We're saving, you know, more than half of each of our salaries. Like we're like, if we had an emergency fund, that was a specific separate fund, we would have been able to fill that back up. And so I think for a lot of people, even when it's difficult to fill those those accounts back up, like knowing that you did it already, it's a, it's something that you know you can accomplish and you know you can do. It's that should be the encouraging thing is to look at it from that perspective. Like I save this money for this reason, and I can do it again. Yeah, that's great insight. Yeah, and I, that's how I approach. That's how I think about it. When I was saving, as I continued to invest and on my finances, when things happen that are challenging, that's how I think about it. And, you know, I adopted that mindset from my husband because I used to be the person like, oh my God, I have to, I've had to spend my money. It's all finished. It's all over. <laughs> I'm done for. I can never save it again. What was me? And my husband's like, but well, aren't you going to work tomorrow? Um, <laughs> aren't you getting a paycheck on Friday? Right, right. And what is your problem? <laughs> Why can't you save it again? <laughs> right, 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 exactly. Are you planning to die this afternoon <laughs> and never be able to save again? Like, what is wrong with you? I personally have had to 
adopt that mindset. And, you know, one thing I always like to remind people about mindsets, it's not one and done. It's something that you have to actively cultivate. You have to actively cultivate this positive, intentional mindset, especially when you have big goals. And that is the hardest part. It's not the fact that you have to go out and work or get out of your comfort zone to earn money or, you know, the time it is. The difficult part is staying consistent with that positive mindset, because sometimes everything in in your life might be perfect, might be going well. And all you have to do is watch the news and completely get depressed, demotivate yourself, hear somebody else's sad story, you know, lose someone in your life. Like there's so many things happening in people's lives every single all the time mm-hmm. that can throw you off thinking positively. And this is a challenge that I have personally, you know, like so many things like having a baby, right? I suffer from postpartum depression and definitely messed up with me thinking, oh, positive thoughts, right? So it's something we have to actively and intentionally work on every day. And I'm very intentional about thinking positive because no matter what's happening in your day, the one thing you have control over is how you think about this. It can mm-hmm. be terrible. You know what? I'm going to look on the bright side. I'm going to find a way to find a positive hair, as negative as this may seem. I'm going to remind myself that this is only temporary. So really managing your mindset, being intentional about managing your mindset is so, so important on this journey. So Lauren, you are now on the other side of saving. You know, you continue to invest. You have income coming in. You're not having to tap on your savings. You and your husband have had a lot of big achievements. What would you say you're most proud of, of everything that you have accomplished so far? For me coming from, you know, when I was growing up, money was really tight in our family. And I remember the thoughts that I had as a kid. I was like, I definitely, my biggest financial goal growing up was like, I just want to be in a place where I don't have to worry about money, that I don't have to be concerned about where my next paycheck was coming from or when, you know, that I'd have enough money when when bills are due. That was probably my biggest goal going into college and then graduating college. I was like, I just want a steady full-time job and I can, you know, have a predictive life basically and not have to worry about anything. And, you know, it's funny to kind of be in a position where I've done like a complete 180 on that because I went from I never want to be a freelancer. I'm just want a steady income. I I want something predictable and I want to be able to just be able to pay all my bills and be in a position where I don't have to worry. Like that was my big goal as a young person. And then, you know, having achieved that and then coming out the other side where I have enough money invested to pay for my the rest of my life, basically, and that I can do freelance projects that I'm excited about, that I don't have to worry whether it pays me enough to do is really exciting. And like totally the other person that I was at 19 would be like, I can't believe you're able to like do random design work and be enough to worry about, you know, where that money comes from or that you can take time and go travel. Like I had never really traveled prior to college and like being able to travel, like that wasn't even part of my goals. I remember specifically in, in a class one time, people were talking about like, things that they like. And like lots of people said travel. And I was like, that's so weird. Like, I don't even know what that was like. And to now be someone who's like taking months at a time to like go explore new places is like a totally different person than that college student. So it's just, that is probably what I'm proud of is the complete change that I've had in my life and that I'm in a position now to help other people like 
find that change too. Like providing the information that has led me to be in this position, like learning about financial independence changed my life entirely. Like that girl didn't know that this was even possible. And Mm -hmm. so like being able to tell other people that this is possible and that like I'm an example of that without some crazy big tech salary or without doing like anything, you know, without (laughs) help from my parents, without like any, just like without any crazy, like cutting of expenses or doing like crazy, almost like we weren't on any crazy, like financial diet plan. Like there was nothing that was insurmountable about it, about Mm -hmm. the process that I just feel like it's also doable for other people. And I'm excited to like help other people realize what is possible in their own life. Mm -hmm. And I love that you said it is possible, right? It's mindset. It is, it's time, it's patience, it's consistency, right? Mm -hmm. And it's living life while you're on the journey, right? You got to go to Hawaii, you got to explore the national parks, you're getting to do different things, you know? So it's like, again, not overwhelming yourself with this big feat, instead just going with the flow, with intention, mm-hmm. with the right mindset, with patience, with consistency, with your plan. So I, I love that. I love that. It's it, like your story is not complex. It's not like a, you know, sometimes we hear these different stories and it's like crazy situations, crazy mm-hmm. backgrounds. It's like juicy, but yours is just simple and it's possible. And I, I love that. <laughs> I'm encouraged that it it is like such a repeatable process that I want to like have other people have the same experiences, like taking that, those sabbaticals, taking that time off, not just like, yes, it recharges you and you get to actually like have the bandwidth, but it also like proves that like what you're working toward is worth it. And I just, I think it is so important to take those breaks and it's important to do what makes the most sense for you, but having, but while being intentional, like it's not like doing what makes sense for you isn't an excuse to like not work toward your goals. It's instead being intentional within that framework. And so I am just like, so excited that other people have, particularly like here in the US, I I think it's very, very possible for people to achieve their dreams. And I feel like my life I I want to show people is like an example of, of being able to do that. So yeah, I think it does come from being intentional and from being, having the right mindset about it and just being, like you said, consistent and just working toward those those goals, having those goals, like setting those goals and then working toward them, I think is important. Yes. And definitely being here in the US, living here in the US. I mean, there's a lot of issues here, but don't take for granted where you live when you compare the rest of the world, right? Oh, yeah. Um, many, many places in the world, you you will never have the same opportunities for mm-hmm. income, for survival, for so yeah, leverage the even if everything is going wrong in your life, the fact that you're living in here in this country here, you know, in a developed country, wherever you are in the world, take advantage of that, leverage every opportunity you have, you know, and just be be grateful for those opportunities because not everybody has them. All you have to do is look at some international news and see what is going on in the world. So, so depressing. So I think that could probably help with that mindset, right? It's like to live in gratitude by seeing, by like really recognizing how much you you do have just by being here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I asked everybody and I'd love for you to tell me what is your clever girl superpower? So I feel like we've kind of touched on it a little bit, but I would probably have to say my like radical optimism toward life. You and- are certainly, yes. I can <laughs> tell when I asked you the challenges question, you're like, girl, what challenges? Please. <laughs> 
I'm optimistic. I yes. mean, I face challenges, but it's not really a true challenge because I power through. <laughs> right. I, I think that that is like the takeaway for me is like, even when something is a challenge, like that's not how I perceive you're it. Not, like, you're not framing it that way. And I, I love right. that so much. And that's a lesson for everyone listening. And for me, myself, who, you know, is here, it's, I love that. I love that. I love the optimism. I love, like, I am optimistic, but not all the time. Like, sometimes I can be so de-optimistic, unoptimistic, whatever the word is. <laughs> I have my moments. So I love that. Thank you so much. That was a, a good lesson for myself, too. A quick example of that, like, part of being optimistic is, like, kind of just assuming best case scenarios instead of worst case scenarios. Like, you know, when it comes to, like, asking for a raise, you can be, like, in a bad headspace about it where you're, like, what if, what if, what if they say no? What if it goes wrong? What if, what if, what if? Or you could frame it in the positive what ifs of like, you know, if I don't ask, then what? You know, and I think being optimistic about like, well, of course, like I'm a great employee, like they'd want to reward me. Like, and even if it's not like a financial raise, you could ask for time off or, or whatever. But having the mindset of the positives of like the best case scenarios and, you know, kind of visualizing those and working toward those rather than, you know, getting a little downtrodden and being worried about it. I think, I think it can sometimes manifest like what you're worried about can like become more likely if like, that's what you're like thinking about. And that's what you're like intending almost. So I do think interjecting optimism in your life is like so important. <laughs> yes. Yes. So thank you so much for sharing that. And then please tell everyone how they can keep in touch with you, read your website, social media, and we'll also have that information in the show notes. Yeah. So my blog is tripofalifestyle.com. Got a ton of deep dives on like, you know, how to cut your expenses and how to track your net worth, how to figure out what that financial independence number looks like for you, all that stuff on our, on our blog. And then we're also on social media where trip of a lifestyle on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube. And then we are TOA lifestyle because of character limits on Twitter. <laughs> Love that. Thank you so much, Lauren. This was great. As mentioned, your links will be in the show notes and I appreciate you coming on here to share and congratulations on, you know, your success story and future successes, right? Because, you know, you, you have so much ahead of you. So well done. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode and I hope you enjoyed it. If you've loved the episode, but you don't yet subscribe to the podcast, you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes and head on over to iTunes and leave a review so other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. Thank you so much for being here and I'll talk to you on the next episode.